The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. This week's episode is dedicated to community. The title of this week's episode of the Forever Fab podcast is Social Capital is the New Currency, Engaging Community for Philanthropy and Empowerment. This is my interview with Dr. Francois Booker-Drew. How did I say that, Dr. Francois Booker-Drew? You were amazing. Oh my God, I need to bring you with me so you can help other people pronounce it correctly. Thank you. It's fantastic. Well, what are friends for? I'm delighted, so delighted that Dr. Booker Drew has joined the Forever Fab podcast today because she is now a friend and she's going to help us out. Francois Booker Drew, PhD, believes that relationships are the key to our personal, professional, and organizational growth. She earned her PhD from Antioch University in leadership and change with a focus on social capital, diversity of women, change management, and relational leadership, among a number of other noteworthy achievements. And the list is long, I assure you. She is a network weaver, a catalyst, a change maker, a partnership broker, and boy, does she build partnerships. She joins me today on the Forever Fab podcast to discuss community as currency and the power of social networking, as well as storytelling. Welcome, Dr. Francois Booker-Drew. Congratulations on your success, and thank you so very much for becoming a part of this beautiful Forever Fab community. Welcome. I am so honored to be here with you today. So thank you for this opportunity to share. Well, let's get at it, shall we? Yes. I love it. Please tell me about yourself. How did you grow up and how did you come to the space that you so beautifully occupy, the space of change and empowerment? I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, and um, my parents started off working. My dad was a waiter. My mother worked at what's now AT&T. And my dad had a dream to open up his own restaurant. And so in the 80s, it was something to see my dad open up this full service Cajun Creole seafood restaurant. And we had live bands and full bar and just the celebrities and people that would come into the restaurant. But I learned from that entrepreneurship. Mm. But I also learned philanthropy because I saw my dad and my mother always helping. There would be people who would come to the restaurant and couldn't afford a meal. And so my dad would always give people dignity by saying, you do something 
here, mm. clean up, you know, wash dishes, do something. But he would always give them so much food to eat because he wanted people to feel like it wasn't a handout. And I saw my mother, you know, with church, um, always helping, giving people fruit baskets and, you know, sending cards to people. And so I didn't realize, you know, at the time what I was being shaped for mm. and that that environment um, of the entrepreneurship, faith and the philanthropy would be the very things that are a part of what I do today. Wow, what a story. That is incredible. I love the idea that dignity is essential to philanthropy because I think that's something that can be forgotten. You, you think that you're doing such a beautiful thing. And of course you are. You're giving of yourself, of your time, of your finances, your resources. And yet the feeling of receiving a handout doesn't always sit well with people. So I love the idea of dignity. Um, let's go back to something else that you uh, briefly mentioned, uh, change. It's not always easy, is it? It seems... Oh, gosh, no. Right? It seems to me that many times change or the, the resistance to change is rooted in fear. From your perspective, even dating back to when you were younger and you were looking at all these acts of philanthropy and dignity and entrepreneurship, there, there involves some change for you to be able to ex acknowledge it, accept it, and change in a way to allow you to do what you currently do today. So why does this resistance happen, this resistance to change? And when, what can we do about it when we recognize it and still want to, to push forward? I'll tell you a story that um, happened when I was a, a kid. When I was in high school, our house caught fire. Oh dear! And um, we had to move in with relatives. And I remember that being a moment of such um, transformation and transition. Mm -hmm. And it was in that experience. And I mean, I was in high school. My hair started falling out because of the mm -hmm. stress and the instability of, oh, my God, when are we going to get back in our home? What I've learned is, is that change is inevitable. Mm -hmm. There are times in life when everything is going well and, and, and then the rug gets pulled out from under you. Oh yeah. I think the reason why many of us are so afraid of it is because it's the sense of loss. Mm -hmm. When you go through change, even if it's good, there's, there's a sense of loss sometimes because you may be gaining something you know, I always say to people, when you say yes to something, you're also saying no to something else. Yes. And so I think it's it's that piece. But I think it's also the lack of familiarity and, and comfort. Even mm -hmm. when things aren't good, at least it's familiar and we are able to go, well, I can expect this. Mm -hmm. When you go through, you know, something that's ambiguous and you're not sure of what could happen that's unnerving for a lot of people. And I yes. know even going through the fire as a, a teenager, um, it, it was unnerving because your stability is gone. But I also think in that moment, it was one of those things that also shaped me to be mm. able to recognize that things are going to happen. Change is inevitable, but you can get through it. Yes. That's fantastic. That change can shift can shift something in you and that can allow you to change and therefore grow. Yes. If you choose to. I mean, it, that's every, true. I mean, it, it really is, is a choice. You can choose to 
allow the change to make you bitter, resentful, mm-hmm. woe is me. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at the change as this is an opportunity and a gift for transformation mm-hmm. and it's for my good. But I think it it's making the decision and not to say that bad things don't happen that are terrible and right. that are traumatic. Of course. Those things do happen and it takes time to get through that. And I don't want to give the impression that it's, you know, something that's so swift, but it's possible. So it is said that we should be the change we want to see in the world. Do you agree with this? And what does this mean for your work and philanthropy? You know, I'm a firm believer that all of us have purpose, that we are here for, you know, something that is divine. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to end up being millionaires or, you know, celebrities. (laughs) It would be idea, but, you know, that's not always the case. Right. I know everything we do. Right. Everything we do has purpose. And when we live and walk in our purpose, I think that that really is is the key. And so when you think about even philanthropy, for me, it was wanting to see this change. And there was this um, dear friend of mine who came to me and another friend, her name is Akila Wallace. And she came to me and Dr. Halima Francis. And she said, I want to start a giving circle. Mm. And it was a group of black women that came together. And it's one of the first giving circles in the state of Texas. And we came together and pulled our funds with about 40 plus other women, because what we noticed was that in philanthropy, you know, and data has, you know, some data says 0.5%, some says 0.6%. Doesn't matter. It's still low. 0.5, of all funding in this country goes to organizations led by black women. Mm. And so when we found that out and we saw it in real time that these organizations were having to use their own money to yes. support great work, we started this giving circle because we wanted to change the narrative and we yes. wanted to be able to use our resources and funds to do something different. So I do believe that one person can be the change that they want to see. But what happens when that change is collaborative and we Mm. decide to partner with people, the momentum gets bigger. And since 2017, we've been able to give out over $100,000 of our money pulled together to support nonprofits led by Black women. That is so beautiful. And I would love for you to give me a list of those not-for-profits so we can post that on the on the podcast website and social Thank media. You. Thank you for that. Thank, Thank you. That you. is so beautiful. Wow, you're embodying like everything about the Forever Fab podcast. You're fabulous. You're beautiful. You're giving. You're amazing. You're intelligent. I, I can go on and on, but Thank I'll go on to you. the next question. <laughs> <laughs> so I read the other day that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary has a you know word of the year. You know how fashion people come out with the color of the year? Yeah. Well, there is a word of the year. Did you know that? I didn't. Uh-uh. Well, the word of the year is authenticity. Ooh. Right? So let's Ooh, talk about authenticity. That's good. Right? Because I, I know you are. So how is that important in your work? And how do you talk to people about being their true selves when sometimes they're in situations or environments where they're perhaps a little apprehensive about, you know, showing their true colors? So let's talk about authenticity. You know, there was a a recent study that came out that talked about how for people of color in the workplace, they have to do code switching Mm. and that so often they can't bring their total selves to work. 
Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to watch this conversation about authenticity and how more people are talking about it. And yet spaces have not caught up to making sure that we're creating safe spaces for people to show up in the totality of who they are. Yes. What I have learned is that people are attracted to authenticity. You can smell a fake in a minute. You just, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's, they don't talk like that. They're not real. <laughs> people are drawn to people who have this sense of self. Yes. And I think authenticity is not always accepting the good stuff about you. It's accepting the good, the bad, and the ugly, and knowing that all of those things make up who you are. And there's value and worth in that. And I think when you're able to see that in yourself, you're able to do that for others. I think about the Marianne Williamson quote where she talks about, it was one of my favorite quotes. Me too. She talks about, you know, and, and being a light that you give other people permission to shine as well. That's what authenticity, I think, does is it allows us in being ourselves. We give people permission to be themselves as well. Beautifully stated. I agree with you 100%. And that reminds me of that quote. I'm definitely going to use that and repost it because I, I post it time and time again. And, and it's so true. It's so healing. It's so appropriate. And it is yes. a beautiful reminder of just allowing yourself to be. Yes. And we don't do that well. I, you know, I was talking to a friend about we are human beings and many of us are human doings. I mean, we're constantly doing and how do we take the time to self-reflect part of the authenticity piece is the ability to have self-awareness and to Mm -hmm. self-reflect. And I think for so many of us, we are so busy doing that. We really don't take the opportunity to, to, check in with ourselves. Right. And, and even where emotion shows up in our bodies, we're just going and taking meds for something that we probably could sit back and go, not say you don't need them, but right. there are certain situations where I think you could sit back and go, let me check in with myself and see what's really going on and why am I feeling this way? We don't create spaces for that kind of reflection. And again, I think it impacts the way we show up in spaces and our authenticity, not only to ourselves, but to other people. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I also think that part of authenticity has to sort of, it's probably a, a part of the, and, and the human doing as opposed to the human being. It's also a part of the um, sort of that feeling of not enoughness, that sense of inadequacy. Yes. It goes it goes back to that, right? If we're not truly our authentic selves, then maybe there's a part of us that don't believe that we're good enough. And so we have to put on this other face or persona to get things done or to get what we want or to manifest or whatever the case may be. So I, I am on a mission, whether it's through this podcast or my work or whatever, to slowly dismantle that, that horrible feeling of not enoughness. It's okay to sit with yourself and say, okay, I'm not so good at this, or, you know what? Okay. I can be better at that. But to move forward in life and b- with this belief or this concept that you are not enough, I think is abs- should be outlawed. <laughs> Agreed. And you remind me of this article that I share with people. There was this article that came out in Harvard Business Review, and I cannot pronounce the author's name, so forgive me. But basically what they were saying is the imposter syndrome is problematic. Oh. And they were saying that 
why is it that we are questioning ourselves and not looking at environments that make us feel like imposters? And it brings me back to this ideal of, you know, when people talk about crabs in a bucket, Mm -hmm. they're always blaming the crabs for fighting, but no one asked the question, well, why are the crabs in the bucket anyway? That's not their natural habitat. They don't belong there, but we will criticize them for their behavior instead of looking at the context they're in. I believe the same thing applies for many of us is that we're placed in situations that make us question ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's almost like gaslighting that you've got these environments that are basically telling you it's something wrong with you. It's something wrong with you. And you're questioning yourself instead of the environment going, Hey, let's take a look at our ability to create space for people to belong. Mm. Mm -hmm. And our ability to create spaces where people are feeling fully supported because ultimately in the end, we kind of all have to get along and do it together and support yes. each other. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's such an interesting perspective. Now that I think about it, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my entire general surgical residency, residency I was totally gaslighted. <laughs> wow. And all, and many of us don't even realize that it's happening. It. I mean, you, you normalize it and you're, you yeah. think, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to work yeah. on this. Yeah. No, maybe it's not. Mm, mm, mm. All right. No excuses. I mean, I, I could have done a little bit better. I, I overslept sometimes, so maybe I couldn't do that. But however, however, it wasn't me all the time. <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. No woman is an island, right? This is basically what we're discussing. You, Dr. Booker Drew, believe that um, relationships are essential, again, to our personal, professional, and organizational growth. But relationships can be complex. So how do you suggest that we navigate ourselves in our relationships to optimize growth and self-discovery, right? Because isn't, don't they say that, you know, you're in a relationship to mirror who you are. So how do we navigate the relationships and navigate our own behavior to optimize growth and self-discovery? One of my friends did something I've never had happen before. She basically told me her expectations of me in a relationship. (laughs) <laughs> and what she needed of a friend. I'd never had anyone do that to me. And I was so excited that someone told me what their expectations wow. were. And it was like, these are the things that are important to me as a friend. And if you can't uh, do this, then that's okay. It just may look different in the type of relationship that we have. And I thought, isn't that very interesting that we have those kinds of expectations of of intimate relationships, Mm -hmm. but we don't think about that in our professional relationships and with our friendships of having these um, goals of what we want. And so I always believe that if you you have no direction, you'll just end up somewhere. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our relationships just end up somewhere because I don't think particularly as women, we think about what our non-negotiables are. So no, we, do not. You, we, we don't do that. And so you end up getting all kinds of this cornucopia of all kinds of stuff with people, because I don't think that we really take the time to explore what's important to us. And so if a relationship is going to be healthy, I think it starts with us and knowing what it is that we want, what it is we don't want. So that way, when those flags appear, you're in a position to go, Mm, non-negotiable versus going, well, benefit of the doubt. And so I think it's just very important that um, when we think about having connections with people, we also have to be very honest with ourselves and recognize what it is we need from those connections. 
That is so true. I've never actually, when you first started t- um, telling the story, I laughed because I thought, who does that? Yes, and, I did too. Right? <laughs> and and I think society, especially for women and, and girls and women, society doesn't necessarily teach us to express our non-negotiables or to even identify them. We are always taught to do for the other. Yes. What, what, what are your needs? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I assist you? And And I know this is deeply rooted in my DNA. It's kind of who I am. I am a service-oriented kind of person. Um, But I am learning that it is important to be able to have strong, healthy relationships that help both people uh, evolve and grow. You have to know what your boundaries are and what your non-negotiables are, and you have to be able to express them. Yes. And I, I don't think that, especially as young women, to your point, we are conditioned to be of service to everyone. And it ultimately ends up being a disservice to ourselves because we end up being, you know, doormats. And so one of the things I learned, and it took me some years, I was attracting a lot of people in my life who didn't have good boundaries. Mm. They would call at different times of the night to talk about work. And then I would get upset because I'm like, well, why are they calling me? Well, I answered the phone. Number one (laughs) was problematic. Right. But then I wasn't being honest with myself or with them and saying that's a problem. And once I started having boundaries and going, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to make sure that these things are in place. You will begin to attract a different kind of person in your life. And those people either will respect your boundaries yes. or they will go, this isn't something I want to be a part of. But it starts with us. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how it works? We're so constantly blaming other people for our stuff. And yet it's like, oh, hold on a minute. I brought that into my life. Yes. Oh, such a hard lesson, but so true. Yes. (laughs) Now we are socialized up the wazoo. We've got Instagram. We've got Facebook. We've got TikTok. We've got so many. We've got podcasts. We have so much. It seems that we are a bit over socialized, if I may say so. Um, But if social capital defines our network of relationships, then how do we leverage the networks, the, the, the social networks, all of the, the real life, in real life networks? How do we leverage those to improve our lives without getting burnt out? Oh, that's excellent. You know, I think social media has given us this false sense of connection. Mm. I think many of us, you know, feel like when you think about a LinkedIn and we've got people that are in our first degree of relationship. The yes. reality is most of us don't know those people. <laughs> and, and and so we we may see them out. I remember a lady walked up to me and was like, I'm on your LinkedIn. And I was like, I have no idea who this is. Um, but But I was kind and gracious. But I think we have substituted real connection. Um, and, and having more and more isn't always better. And so COVID really did a number on all of us. I was so upset when people would say you need to socially distance. And it's like, no, people don't need to socially distance. They need to physically distance, but they need connection. And you saw the isolation that happened. And even as a result of that, you started seeing polarization where people started this us versus them because you had gotten so insular because of of the pandemic. In order for us to build connections, I think it's going to be so important. Zoom is great and it's wonderful. But there are times you got to pick up the phone and talk to people. You can't text all the time. I think it's times that you got to have this face-to-face because it's the energy that we get in being in community. It's also recognizing that there are layers of relationship 
everybody like on LinkedIn, that's your number one really isn't. And it's not the same for your life. Your life, everyone is not going to have the same place. So I think we have to think about the value of those relationships. Valuable relationships require investment and they require time. And we have to be willing to, you know, cultivate those relationships. If you want your grass to grow in your yard, you're going to have to do some pulling of weeds. You're going to have to water. You're going to have to sit and wait. And it's the same thing, I think, in our personal relationships that we have to be willing to, to garden and to make sure our relationships have what they need in order to blossom. You've been listening to part one of the Forever Fab podcast with my guest, Dr. Rosé Booker-Drew. Stay tuned for part two. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.